Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team in Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. All right, everybody. Uh, I think we are live uh, on Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser, and I'm joined as always by uh, Jeff Simmons uh, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Uh, how's it going, Jeff? Man, I'm still I'm still fired up from the other night, man. I'm pumped up. It feels like the last two days have been like a blur. I know, right? Uh, yesterday was crazy. Uh, I mean, I literally, Monday night, after when that field goal went through the uprights, I literally, like, ran around my block. I was, like, running <laughs> yeah. around outside in the pitch black. I was so pumped, man. It was, like, this weirdest. I, I just have not been that excited about a Seahawks game in forever forever feel you and and then i couldn't i could barely sleep and then had to wake up and get on an airplane at like five in the morning and i was a zombie all day yesterday i could barely get anything done because i just so funny so obsessed with that game man that was amazing that's so funny i had such a similar experience after i i wasn't as pumped as I say you were probably, I was more like emotionally spent. Like I was f- fully whipping things like against the wall. Like when Myers was lining up the kick, cause I was just expecting, like they just had blown that game so many times. So then by the time the game ended and we did our pod and like, then it kind of hit me then. And I couldn't sleep Monday. I, I, tried, I didn't think I fell asleep to like three 30 AM my time. And then t- yesterday it was just total write off. Like I couldn't stop watching content and, there was just so much Seahawks stuff today. I kind of got back to normal a little bit, but 
just the whole day was a complete write-off just there's so much to read and there's some like great like clowny videos and yeah that, that game just like i couldn't sleep that night i haven't had that feeling in a seahawks game for a while it was a it was um it was a crazy experience and uh with that i want to welcome uh to the show nathan ernst at nathan e11 uh nathan you are always the irrational emotional one of the crew how are how did you handle that game it was okay <laughs> You know, uh, I don't know that I've ever stressed about kicks as much as I've stressed about as, like the last three, right? So the one that sent them to overtime, the one uh, that uh, the whatever his name was that missed it, uh, that would have won it for the Niners, and then the Myers one. I guess it's four because we got two Myers kicks, right? Because he got iced. Uh, so. Yeah, I was sitting with like a pillow over my head, my jersey over my head. The problem is we've seen too many missed kicks now, right? I mean, going back to to Blair Walsh, like as a Viking, and then Blair Walsh as a Seahawk, and then like the – I don't think you remember this one, Brian, but uh, Greg Zerline missed a big one in the Seahawks Rams game. (laughs) Uh, and so, like, I believe now that, that these things can happen. And so I, I sit there and I, and I stress about them. So, yeah, it was crazy. It was unbelievable. Yeah, do you guys ever – do you ever do the I'm not going to watch them kick thing? You know, I've, I've been feeling myself tempted, like, when Jason Myers going, like, I just, like, I'm almost just wanting to leave the room. But I can't. I have to watch. Do you ever succumb to that where you just close your eyes or turn your back to the TV or anything like that? I can't watch leading up to it. Like I was saying, I was like, I was like pulling my jersey over my head, but then right when he goes to kick, I'm like, uh. yeah, I gotta know what happens. It was the exact same for me. I started walking away, just preparing for him to miss in that game, ending in a tie. And yeah, the last second, you have to look. Yeah, it's you know, I think we got a lot to cover tonight in terms of what what to make of that game that was a very different Seahawks team than what we've seen so far this year um, really on every different aspect of it so let's let's talk about that for sure let's figure out how much of that stuff that we think has staying power and what the implications are for the rest of the year um what does it mean for the 49ers what do we think about that team and what does that mean for the division i mean i think we've got to reevaluate uh, there's a lot of things that have to be reevaluated after that. And then, you know, certainly I want to get into some of the implications of there's some new players that played in that game. Um, and, you know, we've heard some, some implications about who's going to be starting and how it's going to affect other people's roles. So, so there's a ton and there's even more than that. We've also got patron questions queued up and I will offer um, anybody in the YouTube super chat in the chat, if you want to do a super chat and uh, ask a question that way, we will take questions throughout the show for super chats that come up. So feel free to um, ask those questions there. I will try to keep my do my best to keep an eye on that, and uh, we'll we'll cover them as we go. So. Let's actually start with one of the patron questions because this was <laughs> this is a kind of a fun one given where 
we are for, for a lot of reasons. This comes from Neil Cruz. Uh, thank you for your support, Neil. Um, if you haven't already, join up at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash hawkblogger. As you all know, we raise, uh, you know, between 10 and 20 and sometimes more thousand dollars every year for charity goes to Ben's fund, which uh, is John Schneider's son and supports. Uh, it's not raising it for his son, but uh, it's a charity that they started that um, benefits uh, parents that can't afford expensive treatments for kids with autism. Um, so obviously near and dear to my heart, I have a son with autism and uh you know, uh, it's just a huge privilege that I have in terms of access to things that I can get for my son. I know John and Tracy feel the same way. A lot of folks don't have that support and anything we can do to kind of let people be effective parents and raise their kids more effectively is not only great for them and great for their kids, but it's great for the community and great for the world overall. So it's the great cause ties back with the Seahawks, super easy way to do it. And we get to talk Seahawks along the way. So please join up at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Love to have you. Neil Cruz is one of the patrons and he says, we'll start with you on this, Nathan. Fill in the blank. Two sentences. We're going to start with Russell Wilson will lose the MVP race because of blank. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why he would, I don't think that there's a, I mean, I could maybe like some kind of East coast bias thing for Lamar. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, obviously he loses it because he craps the bed the rest of the way. Right. I mean, but. Like, I don't have a reason to think that's going to happen. So, uh, I mean, they, they have a tough schedule the rest of the way. So, his he's not going to get a lot of opportunities to put up numbers like he did against, against Tampa the rest of the way. And so, you know, if Lamar Jack – like, there is legit competition. Um, I think I'm way over two sentences. Am I supposed to do this in two sentences? Uh, one word. Uh, I think I – think <laughs> one word. Um <laughs> <laughs> or or a, a, a short phrase. East Coast bias was good. Okay. No, I think. All I, 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 right. So thinking about more, I think there's. I think it's just a competition. The the number of people, uh, number of quarterbacks that have legit uh, MVP candidacies right now. Um, you know, it's just it's tough to take him to say he's you know guaranteed to take it over the field. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, uh, I think I'd say uneducated voters. I'd say um, even when Russell did put up his like five touchdowns a couple weeks ago, people were still talking to Sean Watson. And now this week it's Lamar Jackson. It just seems like everyone wants to crown the next big thing. It's the same reason John Schneider's never won executive of the year. Something like that. Like uh, voters don't always make the right decisions. They're not always watching carefully. If you watched every Seahawks game and every snap of the Seahawks, like we have to me, as much as there is great competition and definitely Lamar Jackson and Sean Watson and Dak Prescott, those guys have had amazing seasons. But if you just watch the first nine games of the year, for example, and the fact that they were seven and two going into that game, like I hate to be one of those guys. It's like, it's all the quarterback, but it really was all Russell Wilson. And just when you look at them, it's not the most best player awards, the most valuable to their team. 
And I don't think you can make an argument that anyone has been more valuable than Russell Wilson. I really don't. But I think if he does lose, it's because the voters confuse the award for being best player or best stats. It's not. It's most valuable. I don't think there's a, I don't even think it's close. Yeah, I'll go short and sweet. Uh, uh, Lamar Jackson uh, would be the, the, the reason. And, and I agree with all the stuff you guys said. I also think uh, we're probably underselling Lamar Jackson a little bit. He is doing a lot. He's the only reason the Seahawks lost to the Ravens. Like, <laughs> and it wasn't because of passing the ball. I mean, he was just kind of unguardable. Um, and uh, so I think he legitimately is in the conversation um, with Russell. But that would be the that would be the reason I could think of. Um, uh, so he had a two part one. We're going to ask the other part of his question, then we'll move on to other topics. Seahawks will make the Super Bowl despite blank. I don't want to go first. <laughs> Jeff. Um, despite having no nickel corner. Wow. Which in a, where it's clearly the most efficient way to play is the passing and having a great pass defense is really important. The Seahawks seem to keep rolling out Jamar Taylor and if they're going to make the Super Bowl, it seems like they're going to keep playing him for whatever reason. And, and uh, But I think that if they're going to make the Super Bowl, it's going to be because of other things. But I guess the best answer to that question, that's I see one whole other team, and if they, they keep winning in spite of it, so that's the answer. You want me to go next there, Nathan? Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll prolong this as long as we can. The Oaks will go to the Super Bowl despite Pete Carroll punting regularly from inside the opponent's, you know, 50-yard line. Um, that will not be the reason they, they are kept out of the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean that's mine too. It's despite Pete Carroll. Um, oh, that's different. We're not. Don't 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 group me with that statement. Uh, no, I mean the big thing is the force down decisions. Um, but you know we saw them lose a playoff game last year because of an overly conservative offensive game plan, and that could happen again. And so um, I think Pete is really. Uh, his game management, his game time, though, despite Pete's game time uh, decisions, go with that. Yeah, that's, fair. that's a fair answer. I like that better because, I mean, let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, obviously, it's a, it's always a, a yeah, what's the word, polarizing topic, but. Um, you know, I, I don't know many teams that, that would have <laughs> would have come back as many times as the Seahawks did from as many different obstacles. Talk about the amount of things that shot themselves in the foot. Forget whether you attribute that to Pete Carroll or not right now. Um, I happen to. I, I think that's part of the culture he's he's created. But, you know, is there is there something that is different about this team and its resiliency? Is it something that is different than past even Seahawks teams? Is, is there something unique about this group? Because they've been behind twenty one to seven to the to Bucks, whatever they were behind twenty to three or whatever to the Browns or like like 
they've been behind a lot this season, and yet they're eight and two. Um, why? Why is that? What, what do you guys? What do you guys attribute that to? I think a little bit has to be luck. Uh, I think it's maybe not sustainable that they're just riding on the edge so much. And I think definitely that has to be a part of it. But at some point, we say this every week, they're playing with fire, they're playing with fire, and they probably are. But at some point, this just has to be part of their team's makeup. And it's the most stressful way to watch a football game. We're all using, we're all losing years off our life watching this team every week. But I think you mentioned it. It's kind of the culture this team is where they, I think it's a lot of it's Pete. And I think a lot of it, more, maybe more is Russell. If you listen to Russell talk during the game, he has this almost like unwavering belief that anything can happen and they can come back, even if they're down like 42 nothing. It's kind of annoying sometimes. Like if I'm another player and they're losing like 30 nothing, he's like, oh, we're fine. We're going to have the greatest comeback ever. But I think the team has really taken on Russell's personality. And Pete, it's kind of where they're aligned is they have this almost way too optimistic view of the world. And I think that's just part of the makeup of this team. It's, I don't, I still don't know if it's sustainable, especially as their schedule gets harder. But I, th- I think that's why – I think that's just the culture, and I think that's kind of what's amazing about this group. Yeah, I I, I want to jump in there because I think you hit it in, in my mind. We spend so much time talking about attributing it, you know, to Pete, both as a negative and a positive. The negative you hear that uh, Pete always gets – his teams are always slow starters and – he focuses too much on the finish. Um, and then we also talk about the fact that Pete's teams seem to always be resilient and, you know, always finish strong at the end of the year and in the games. I think that, the, that one of the things that this team is different than some of the past teams is this is Russell's team. Like there's no doubt about it. Like this is Russell's team. He is the leader they built around him. And it does feel like it's taken on some of his personality. Um, and he has actually been at times a slow starter and a really strong finisher. And so I do wonder if that's, if that's some of it. Um, I don't know, Nathan, but about your thoughts on that. I mean, I think that there are a couple missed field goals from having a different spin on this story. Um, I, I don't, I, I think that Pete talks about this in all the right ways. Like we give him a hard time for the, you can't win a game in the first quarter, yada, yada. And, there are times where he could help himself win games a lot more in the first quarter than he does. Um, but I think that all the ways that they approached this and, uh, you know, talk about it, yada, 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 it, it can't do anything but help. Um, how much does it help? Like, again, I, I don't think it made, again, I don't remember his name. What's the kicker's name for the Niners? Uh, McLuhan? McLaughlin. McLaughlin. That's right. McLaughlin. Uh, I don't think it made him miss a kick. Right. Uh, and if I'm remembering the sequence of events right, Russ throws that pick, right? And then they go, do they go right down the field and miss that kick? Yeah. Well, yeah, they returned it to like the 50 yard line. Okay. So, you know, he makes that kick and suddenly you can, you can tell the story that, you know, that the team became deflated and, and, you know, whatever, yada, yada, right? So, a lot of this is just optics, but I do think that the way that they approach it and talk about it, like, that's all goodness. Um, <laughs> I just had to hide my first uh, 49er fan that still kind of made his way back into the uh, into the chat. I do want to thank James Winston, uh, James Watson, excuse me, for uh, um, 
you know, donating the super chat. Uh, Jameis Winston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, James uh, just makes a comment here that uh, it sucks that Wilson's always coming in second for MVP. Actually, the fact of the matter is, James, uh, Russell Wilson's never even got a single MVP vote in his entire I was shocked by that. Bobby's gotten votes, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, and no, no, like, no shame on Bobby. Like, he's been amazing at times. But, like, how has Bobby gotten votes and Russ has never gotten a vote, not in 2015? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty nuts. Um, so... Yeah, I, I do think that there's there's something to what's going on with with Russell and, and his perspective. I, I get what you're saying, Nathan, that, you know, a number of things could have been different and the 49ers could have won that game. Honestly, I think there's way more things that could have been different and the Seahawks could have won by a lot more or won earlier. Like, there's a lot of indicators that the Seahawks were the better team in that game. Like, um, after the 49ers got ahead 10 nothing. First of all, that first drive was heavily assisted by penalties. Like a lot of the yardage that they got moved down the field was penalty related. Um, and then but they did, they got legitimately ahead 10, nothing. And then uh, from there on, like they weren't, they went eight straight drives without scoring. And the Seahawks, when they surged to being ahead 21 to 10, that didn't feel fluky. In fact, it felt like they should have been ahead by more, like the DK fumble at the goal line. And like, there's a lot of indicators that that game could have been pretty convincingly in Seattle's favor. And even when it was just 21 to 10, to do was not do stupid things like fumbling and giving up you know, <laughs> touchdowns off the fumbles and, you know, not, not, uh, failing to catch passes that were thrown directly to them from the opposing team, like crazy things like that. And they would have won um, easily. So I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying I, I wouldn't disagree with a lot of that. I, I just, I think if you're talking just about like the resiliency of the team, right. And how they just keep coming back and fighting and fighting. Like, I, I think, you know, you can look at both the Ram, like the Rams game in this game, right. Where they end up, they win on missed kicks really. And you can, if those kicks go different ways, you can tell a very different story about the, the sure. heart of this team or whatever, right? Yeah. Sure. Um, so mm-hmm. let's talk for a second about what, what, what does this game mean? Um, how, how do you guys, when you look at this game now, you've had a couple of, a couple of days kind of to digest it. Uh, I'll leave it open-ended to you. What did you walk away with? How do you think about these teams differently than maybe you did when you walked into that game? Jeff, you want to kick us off? Uh, I think just seeing some semblance of hope on defense was promising because the fourth quarter of the Atlanta game and the Tampa Bay game, and even the Cleveland game to an extent, other than the turnovers, were some of the most discouraging defensive performances we've probably watched in the last decade. And I don't expect Jadavian Clowney to play like that maybe ever again. He was – I can't get over how good he was in that game. And But to me, seeing him do that, but just to see Jaron Reed kind of resemble somewhat of the player we saw last year. Puna Ford's a guy me and Evan have talked about a lot. He's wondered what's going on with him. He thought it was a coaching issue. I thought it was purely an injury thing. He just had no first-step quickness. He really looked back to what the guy we kind of thought he was going to be, his – his kind of explosiveness because when he's not when he was injured and he was playing he's a really small guy it's kind of easy to push around when he doesn't have that explosion so seeing those two guys 
do something be between Clowney. That to me was really promising. And Diggs at safety, he rushes a lot of unique skill that this team hasn't had. Like they, they looked hopeless in the secondary. Obviously, we've talked about Shaq a lot this year, but I just seen some semblance of hope on defense. To me, that was the biggest takeaway. About you, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, we talked a bunch uh, about what will adding Jaron Reed back to the defense mean? Like, what what will that tangibly change or how much will they improve? And I think we all – I know I did, and I think we all kind of had the opinion that it's, it's, it's going to be nice, but it's not going to be a big deal. Um, Reed felt like a big deal to me in this game. Um, and, and not that he was – like Clowney was unstoppable and Clowney was the best player on the field. Um, and so a lot of what happened was just Jadavian Clowney going off, but um, him being able to, to get a sack and to be as disruptive as he was, uh, was in part because of Reed uh, bringing that interior pressure and just limiting where Garoppolo could go. Uh, and so I think that that duo even if Reed didn't come in and just completely ball out and be amazing, right? Even if it was just really clowny having one of the best games of his career, um, I think that has made me reconsider what his impact will be. Does it make you reconsider at all whether you want to sign both of them or one of them this offseason? Um, no. Uh, because again, I don't know that Reed was particularly amazing. I think he had a good game. Um, I think that, that it, again, it was about Clowney, but it was about Clowney having the help. Um, I think maybe it makes me reconsider what I think that they need to add, how to augment Clowney. You know, we had talked a lot about needing Onsa to step up or having that speed rusher that they don't really have or whatever. And that, that didn't, they didn't have anyone opposite Clowney in this game that was effective. Um, they had to give Shaquem Griffin run because they're, they seem kind of done with Ansa and for good reason, right? So despite not having that other edge rusher, they were able to be very, very productive because of the interior pressure. And so I, th I think it maybe makes me reconsider about how they should kind of structure this defensive line. And maybe that leads to being more willing to pay Reed. Um, but I don't know that I feel any better about paying Reed like 10 sack, 11 sack money. Cause I don't know that he's that, I still don't know he's that player. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. You walked out of this game with one and a half sacks and if I'm not mistaken. That's half of Clowney's total after, you know, much fewer games. Right. So uh, if Reed continues to be productive, he might prove a lot of us wrong who, the, the convenient story was last year was going to be an aberration for Reed. He's never going to reach that level of, as a pass rusher again. And, you know, um, he's more of a, maybe a five to six sack guy on a more sustained basis. Who knows? Who knows? Like, I think that's something we're going to have to figure out um, the rest of the year. But I will tell you, one of the things that was a takeaway for me is I've been of the mind the Seahawks were probably going to pay Clowney um, to keep him, you know, even if things didn't change drastically. Um, I thought maybe they get him at a slightly lower price, but in general, I just thought that they, they do what they needed to try to keep him. Now I'm kind of of the mind of you, whatever they're going to, what, I mean, almost whatever his price tag is going to be. I want to see him come back to Seattle. Like it was that kind of game for me. I, I don't know if it's, 
it's certainly it can be an overreaction and say, well, maybe he won't do that, you know, regularly. But that was really the first game that he's been singled up from a blocking perspective. Most of the time he's been double teamed almost every game, the complete game. And I think that was an undertold story in this. He just abused whoever he was matched up all along the line. Either side, inside or outside, he double teamed. Even when they brought a tight end and running back, he just abused them. And this wasn't like some bad pass blocking team. And this bullshit, excuse me, that I've been hearing on Kyle Shanahan, like, yeah, well, they might have been a little rusty coming back to their first game. Baloney. Like, Joe Staley's played in this league for years and was like one of the top five or six pass blocking tackles, um, you know, by pro football focus, at least before he got hurt. So, didn't forget how to pass block. Clowney was just that good. And we, as much as Frank Clark, I love Frank Clark, he was never that good. Like, he was never able to single handedly dominate a game the way he did, the way Clowney did in this game. So, I think that's the kind of guy you want to have. I think he's a perfect culture fit. Um, and the question for me more is whether Reed's going to be one of his duo, one of his buddies in there. And, and I'm not opposed to them spending a decent chunk of change on the cap to a couple young dis- disruptive defensive linemen, if they can prove that the rest of the year. And so that was one big takeaway. And the other was what you said, Jeff, like Quandre Diggs. I think I mean, he had an interception in his first game. He had a couple big hits, a couple tackles that I think probably go underappreciated that there was a – I can't remember exactly if it was a screenplay or a wide run, but he comes in. It was a six- or seven-yard gain, so it wasn't like he made some big tackle for loss or broke something up, but he made a sure tackle and knocked the guy down along the, the sideline. That Normally, if that's Tedrick – that's like a 20 yard gain because he's just not there in time to cut off the angle. So I, I thought he hit hard. He destroyed Kyle uh, check on, on a, a pass that Yuschek dropped. So I just thought there's some really encouraging signs there. And uh, the only thing on defense that wasn't encouraging was Jamar Taylor. And I don't know, guys, I mean, where are you on what to do about Jamar Taylor? Do you, like, let's, let's do this. We've talked about that a lot. We're into the bye week. Jeff, do you think that they're going to make some sort of change at nickel corner? No, I would like to, but they kept playing Tedrick Thompson every week and they kept playing. They talk about competing and like, I just, I think there's been plenty of evidence to stop playing them already and they keep playing them. So I'd like to say it's pretty obvious to me. He's the weak link. And I'd like to see them make a change. I hope this bye week helps, but my gut is unfortunately no. Nathan, what about you? I mean, who, what do they – who is the change? What, what do they do, right? Like, There's a couple obvious answers there, right? There's uh, Quandre Diggs and Bradley McDougal are the base down uh, – the base defense safeties, and when they go to nickel – Quandre Diggs slides into slot corner and Marquise Blair comes in as the other safety. That's one way to do it. Other answer is, you know, it's Ugo Amadi time. And you're going to just say, we're going to take some lumps with him, but we're going to, we're going to try a different player. Those are two plausible paths forward. I mean, it's, 
it seems like a lot to ask Diggs to come in middle of the season and learn a couple different positions. Um, I'm not against it, but <laughs> Marquis' player has spent a lot of the season trying to learn the playbook with not a lot of uh, luck so far, so I don't know how much we should be asking of Diggs. Um, I'm not against the idea of just rolling with the Mahdi and see what you got, at least for a couple games. I mean, it's possible he's worse than Taylor, but it's not hard to see him being at least as good. So, sure, I'm okay with that. Um, I don't know that they're going to look to make a big change after the defense played as well as it did. Um, that makes me a little skeptical too, but uh, I'm, I'm all for experimenting. I just don't know I'm hopeful anything will come of it. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be optimistic here about that they've been waiting for the bye week to really self-scout and look at this stuff, and they're going to come. They, they do have a history of coming out of bye weeks making meaningful changes. 2015, they made a huge change offensively that led to a pretty big second half of the season in terms of how they're attacking defenses. Um, you know, we've seen other changes that they've made coming out of bye weeks after they self-scouted. So I think they've been kind of hanging on for that moment. And I'm hopeful that they're going to look at that and be like, holy crap, this guy over and over again is a problem. And he could be the reason. He very easily could have been the reason the Seahawks didn't win that game. Like he made enough mistakes and caused enough problems just by himself. And that's a game against, I, I guess, I, I talk about this as well. Like, I didn't walk away from that thinking the 49ers were frauds or like, oh man, they're way worse than everyone said. I think the 49ers defense is crazy good. I think their running game is crazy good. I think their quarterback is okay. And, and I think their coach is fantastic. So I don't know. I didn't walk out of there thinking that they were, they were big pushovers, but if you're going to face a team like that and you're going to have a guy like Jamar Taylor, that is such a weakness. I, Man, I hope that they make that change. I, I don't know. I, I didn't come away thinking the Niners were frauds, but I didn't come away thinking that they're juggernauts either. Like I went into this thinking that they were maybe a clear cut best team in the NFL. And now I don't know that I really see that kind of separation. I, I think they're, Maybe still a I'd little. Yeah, they might still be a cut above Seattle a bit, um, but I'm not scared to play this team again. I'm definitely not scared to get them at home at the end of the year. Um, yeah, uh, they're not for. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought that Seattle. Uh, <laughs> part of my. Uh, I'm a little skeptical of the defensive improvements. Like, I think the Clowney and Reed thing is real. Um, but, like, I do think that Jimmy G looks like a fraud. Uh, he looked like trash the entire game and was the reason that Seattle maybe could have or should have won by a lot more and had opportunities to – had all those balls that bounced out of their hands for picks and stuff. So, uh, in that respect, that was the one place where I saw where they, they really looked a little – a little uh, weak. He was exposed. He 100% was exposed in that game for what he is. And it was amazing. I don't know if you guys felt the same way when it's like it was in maybe an overtime or fourth quarter. When they flashed up the one interception, I was like, wait, what? 
he's thrown like four. Like he's got to have at least a few. Like I cannot believe he exited that game with one pick. Like that's crazy. I mean, he had the other fumble, so he fumbled twice, right? That's not great. One for the touchdown, and then one when Clowney knocked it out. Um, we did have three turnovers. Um, speaking of turnover, welcome, Evan. How you doing, dude? At Evan Hill, SEA, joining up. I don't know if you can hear us. We'll keep talking. But, um, yeah, so – I agree with you, Nathan, that, that they're not frauds as being a bad team, but I thought that they were a juggernaut. And not only that, but I also thought the were stepping into a heavyweight fight and they were welterweights. I'll be very honest. Like that, even though I predicted the Seahawks were going to win that game 27 to 20, it's pretty close, but I felt like there was just a huge underdog. And all the things said that exiting that game, I'm with you. Like, I think the Seahawks match up pretty well with them. And I think the Russell Jimmy difference, and if the defense can play the run game, it's not just the pass rush. If the defense can play the run game for the 49ers, the way they played there, they've been a horrible run defense. And the 49ers have been one of the best run offenses. And Again, as, as Jeff, as you said, when the Ford showed up, uh, Al Woods had another great game. It was just a very different, different feel. Um, I just like to point out. Yes, sir. Right, cool. uh, I, I just like to point out that uh, someone on this podcast who routinely is giving crap for being too pessimistic or hating, secretly hating the Seahawks, has been saying for weeks that this is a really good team. And they showed up and beat the consensus best team in the NFL pretty much in there uh, on the road. Like, and they did it in a way that didn't look like any of the other games, but like this is, uh, again, I, I don't know if they're as good or if they're better than the Niners. Actually, the Niners may still be the best team in the NFL, but like this team can play with anyone and, Sometimes they need a little help. They need a missed kick here or there. But, like, that's that's where they are. That's how close they are to some of these other teams that are considered great right now. I, I love it. I love it. And uh, you, you definitely get credit. We, we, we talked about it. We talked about that you've been, you've been like, a little bit of Mr. Optimistic this year. It's, it's, and then Nathan, you know, and then Evan's been taking the other route where he's just, like, chicken little over there eating burgers and, like, and, and 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 worrying about everything falling out that part. How you doing? I here? want you to know I've turned a corner. The Seahawks are running the table. <laughs> They're running the day. I'm not even kidding. Oh I am every day, every day, every hour, every second, every minute, every additional little millisecond I think about this game, I become more encouraged and more optimistic about the rest of the season. Seriously, I I think uh, what they showed on Monday night is. Um, really encouraging moving forward. And I don't think it's unrealistic to think that the Seahawks could win out. Yeah. So, so say more. What What is it about that game that you, you're reflecting on that's getting you more confident? Totally. Like the whole problem I've had, you know, with the whole, oh, but the Seahawks are seven and two. Oh, but the Seahawks are six and two sort of like retort to my pessimism has been like most of these games up until Monday night was. Russell Wilson balling out 
on an MVP level and dragging absolutely everybody with him past the finish line. I'll give the caveat of saying uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett have also been exceptional. Chris Carson, some too. So um, it's not just all Russell Wilson, but uh, defense and special, and special teams and the offensive line has not been good. And what we saw on Monday night was not just in a live pass rush, but also a ball hawk secondary. I don't know if you guys keep, I don't, I have replays in my mind of um, Quandre Diggs is like free safety hits. He, I, I felt like he made like three or four really big tone setting hits on um, Emmanuel Sanders and a couple other players. But um, Monday night was a game, like a complete team win in my mind. Like Russell Wilson did not have a great game. I don't think statistically or like on the tape. Um the defense really, I think, was probably the highlight of the game. They had five quarterback sacks and um, ten quarterback hits, and you know Shaquille Griffin really had a takeaway. They pro they probably should have had like three or four more interceptions. To be frank, like Bobby Wagner, KJ, Trey Flowers all missed three interceptions that would have ended the game on the final drive. That probably should have been intercepted. It was just bad luck, whatever you want to chalk it up to, but. Um, the reason I'm optimistic is because I think Russell Wilson is going to continue to play at an MVP level. I don't think that's really in doubt. And I don't think many people really dispute that um, where the question mark has been, has been the defense. And if the defense can continue to show signs of life and even just show like a moderate pass rush, I truly think things will fall into place. And I think this, I think it makes this team that much more dangerous for a Super Bowl run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... And rant. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I mean, Jeff, one of the questions that comes up here is, I mean, a couple things. One, we've talked about all season. Seahawks have not been able to defend the run. They've not been able to get a pass rush. They have not been able to cover in the secondary. They've not been able to place, kick the ball well on special teams or punt the ball well or cover well. Um, they have been uh, great at passing the ball and decent at running it, right, on offense? Mm-hmm. Sort of. Right, and we talked about it in the group <laughs> chat before the game. We said, what would be the most encouraging way for this game to play out? If, play it the other way, if this, if this game had been Russell Wilson playing really well, the defense giving up a ton of points, and the Seahawks still barely winning – would you have felt better, worse, or no different coming out of the game? Did it matter how they won this game? Um, to an extent, I guess. But if if Russell could have won that game where like the defense was a zero and the kicker stunk, then I would still think the same thing, that they're capable of beating anyone. And obviously these are more sustainable ways to win where you're having more of a team effort, like Evan said. I took some crap from you guys earlier when I said I was watching the rest of the teams around the league. And even when the Seahawks were kind of shit in the bed, I said, there's not a lot of teams that I just think can just easily beat them. And this was the best team by almost every measure. And if Russell went in and won using that same style, I would still think they can beat any team because they have right now, I think they're like the LeBron James of quarterbacks. Like before this game, it looked more like those old Cleveland teams where it was like what Evan was saying. It was LeBron and a bunch of scrubs. And now that you're starting to see guys, like if Clowney can, I don't know if he'll ever play at that level again, but you see the pass rush add into this thing because I don't think Russell's going to get worse. I think like a guy like Josh Gordon, he looked really encouraging. 
And the lock-in news was really encouraging today. And Jacob Hollister, he's made me look wrong. He's been he's been a very good fit. And Dwayne Brown looked really promising, I thought. I thought that was his best game of the season. And so I think the offense had placed a couple of weak secondaries coming up, and maybe if you include the Rams, another one. So I think the offense is going to get better. And they stopped fumbling the ball so much. My God. But Five fumbles. Yeah, holy crap. But, yeah, I think the fact that it was more of a team win, I think that was the more encouraging sign. But I just think the fact – I still think because they have the best quarterback in the league right now, in my opinion, they can beat any team. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, guy. It's interesting. I guess I can see it both ways. I definitely, unlike Nathan, uh, being very open and accountable here, I've been saying clearly on the show, I don't think the Seahawks are a very good team. I think they're just okay. That's been my take most of this year. I think that they're like, they had some really significant flaws um, and they had certain real strengths. I think the LeBron James comparison is really apt because there were times he got teams to the finals, um, but they were, they were overpowered. They didn't have enough to do it. And, and I just, I didn't see it. This game changed that for me in terms of all the different aspects that, that did contribute to the win. But you know, look, there's going to be people that, that talk about this this uh, this game or this team, and they're going to say, hey, the 49ers were missing George Kittle. They were missing Emmanuel Sanders. And this is actually one of the, the other patron questions we got from uh, Jack Cruzan, who's like, how do you guys feel about their chances versus this team in December, assuming those two guys are back playing? Not like home field's been super great for us so far this year. How much do you think – let's start with just – if those two guys had played in this game, is that the difference? Do the 49ers win? I don't know if that makes a difference with how Garoppolo played. I mean, he had – he looked kind of awful even when Sanders was in there. And obviously Sanders was doing stuff. And so, it, obviously, you add them in, it helps. But I, I don't know that – it takes Jimmy Garoppolo and makes him like get the ball on target instead of like three feet over the receiver's heads or whatever. I think that's an absolute bullshit excuse. If Niners fans are leaving, is coming up with this football is a game of attrition. Like you're going to have injuries. The whole point of roster building is to, I talked about in my rant last week, why I thought the Seahawks defense was playing so bad was when you took one corner out, Akeem King was the guy who's going to have to play. The whole reason you build a 53-man roster is because there's going to be injuries. The Jacob Hollister thing is a great example. They lose Will Disley, who's been – Brian showed the numbers last year. He's been PFFs, like, right there behind Kittle. You have Jacob Hollister sitting there for that reason. There is, you're going to have injuries. It's a long season. It's a very violent sport. You're at week 10 now. There's going to be injuries. Week 17, there's probably going to be more. So, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Seahawks were missing Lockett in overtime. They're missing Will Disley. You can go on and on and on. Ziggy Ansah's playing with like half a body. I don't even know what he's doing. Um, this is why you build a 53-man roster. You cannot. That's garbage. So they they come back. They, they're available for the end of the season. That's where I, I, I'm kind of with you, Nathan. Evan, I don't know if you feel differently, but if Clowney's doing the offensive line what he did on Monday night and Jaron Reed's helping – and Quandre Diggs is getting better, and Josh Gordon is available for for all parts of the offense. 
am I scared going into that game or am I looking forward to that game? Well, hold up, hold up real quick. I, I know I joined the show late, but have you guys mentioned Puna Ford's like really positive performance on? We did a little bit, but talk, okay. talk about it. Yeah. I think just his addition has been, I don't want to say coming out party because he, he played really well last year, but it feels like he hasn't made much of an impact uh, this year up until Monday night. And I think there were some rumors floating around about an injury or maybe that's on the record officially. I'm, no, I'm not he, sure. He, he had a calf injury and I've okay. talked to you about this a lot actually. And you can see his explosion wasn't there. That's his whole game. And this was the mm-hmm. first week you saw kind of what we saw in preseason. And he's, he's a just player. such a, yeah, he's such a good combo with Jaron Reed on the interior. He just, I, there were, I, there was one play that really stuck out. I think it was on like the first drive of the game where he absolutely mauled. I think it was their left guard or their center. I don't remember which one and stopped a run behind, behind the sticks by like three or four yards. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a player where <laughs> you talk about like underrated players that can boost you to like a, like a deep playoff run. He's one of them. He really is. Especially if, you know, his role is so critical towards a pass rush, you know, a sustainable pass rush. Um, he's somebody to be excited about. Um, what are you wearing, Evan? Uh, a Disney jacket. All right. I like it. I like Disney. I like Disneyland. All right. Yep. Well, I've been watching game. little I've been watching Little Mermaid. I'm a I'm a 24-year-old male. Uh, I, I work in technology and I watch Little Mermaid on Disney Plus after, after the live work. action Little Mermaid. What was that? Are you excited for the live action Little Mermaid? Excuse me? They're they're remaking I don't know if you heard Mr. Disney. Shut show. up, are you kidding me? Because my they're favorite lo- my they're favorite ride in all of Disneyland and California Adventure is the fucking mermaid ride. I love the aerial ride. I also had a big crush on her as a kid, but that's besides the point. They've already casted her, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Who is it? Um, I don't know. It's been a little controversial, I'll tell you that. Um, but... we should we should chat out uh, Sullivan in the chat who just donated us five dollars. You guys didn't shout him out earlier, did you guys? Oh no, no, yeah, like, go go for it. We're we're basically oh. for people that are just joining. We are taking questions from Super Chat, so if you want to donate there, we're happy to take uh, your questions. Tell us so, your favorite live-action Disney movie. <laughs> you, you guys didn't tune in for the Seahawks. Movie. You guys tuned in for Disney talk, I assume. Um, Disney Plus came out this week, didn't it? Yeah, hell yeah. yeah, I'm a subscriber, baby. Um, all right, Sullivan says, I think we're still two or three players away. I know it's way too early, but what positions are you drafting with the first and two second rounders next year? Brian, let's start with you. Um, corner. Um, corner, I think, is the top priority on this team. I think uh, linebacker may be up there, although it depends. It depends on – I don't know the draft well enough to know where there's deepest positions, but, like, I'm a big fan of – going where the talent is. So like defensive line safety, I could even still make the case. Um, but corner, like corner linebacker defensive mm. line are like, I, my w- I want to jump in here real quick, just because everybody has been talking about on Twitter, how the receiver draft class for next year is going to be like one of the best draft classes for receivers in decades. Um, Brian, I actually want to ask you a twofold question here. 
Number one, is the receiver position a position of, of need for the Seahawks going into 2020? And part two, if it is, or if it's not, should the Seahawks still use a high draft pick first or second rounder on that position? Oh, man. I don't think they should, actually. Like, I, I think they're in a, I think they've got a really deep talent pool there. I think, I think John Ursua is a good receiver. I really do. I think that he has potential to, um, to rise up. I still think, I think we're seeing good things from Malik Turner, um, even though it's like minor, but I, I don't think he's like going to be a starter, but I think you've got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And I think there's a really good chance you could have Josh Gordon next year too. I'm sorry, everybody stop. Brian mentioned Malik Turner. Everybody take a shot. We're all getting drunk on this podcast. Hey, dude. All everybody take a shot. There was somebody conspicuously not mentioned, though. I know. I've come clean on that. That was one of my things I said I was wrong about last week. Uh, David Moore has not been great this year. He has not been great. Um, uh, but... <laughs> I do think Malik Turner has made the most of every opportunity. And he had a great play in that game. Um, so anyway, I guess just knowing how far off they are in uh, defense, it's just hard for me to say prioritize receiver. Um, like where is that person going to play? They're going to take DK snaps. They're going to take Tyler snaps. I just don't see it. That's interesting. Nathan, do you disagree? Yeah, I do. Or, uh, <laughs> I knew you would. Can you elaborate? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, receiver is a premium position. They really only have two that you can think for sure are going to be longtime contributors to this team. So I think there's a place for a third. Um, they like to play 11. Uh, so I'm not too concerned about snaps. Um, <clears throat> and there are a lot of really, uh, uh, really talented receivers coming out this year. So um, it's not something that I'm going to be like, falling i'm not gonna i wouldn't say that they should go out of their way like they shouldn't be considering trading up or anything like that but um i I don't think it i think it definitely isn't play for the first round pick um one of the spots that you didn't mention brian that i think maybe is maybe is their biggest need probably not their biggest need but it's up there um is offensive tackle um that was my answer yeah uh a fetty may not be long what's that I'm fascinated by that. I think tackle, they're set for the succession plan. They've got Phantom. They've got Jamarco Jones. Um, are, are you convinced Jamarco Jones is going to be a tackle for them? He absolutely is a tackle. You don't think he's going to play guard for them? No. No, they're so set at guard. So then right guard. Get a right guard. They're, they're set at guard. They've got Phil Haynes. He can't play yeah, well, a right guard. Has Phil Haynes played a snap for us? <laughs> he hasn't played. He hasn't played a snap, and also he can't play both spots. Like no, no, I didn't super or <laughs> body should be. I'm not saying he's going to play both spots. I know you like him, Brian, but that's out of control. Come on. <laughs> no, they've they've got they've got multiple. Play- I mean, they've got multiple players, and they've proven that they can fill in at the guard spot with you know veteran free agents and things of that nature. So. I mean, sure. I, I, if there's someone great, I would not be opposed to that. But tackle, Wait, I, tackle I'm surprised I, by it. I can't get over the Jamarco Jones thing. Like, hasn't he slotted in at right guard and played really well? So you think they should plan for him at right tackle? Oh, he is way more valuable at tackle than he is at guard. The fact that he can play guard is just great. That's gravy. And it's sure. where they had a need. But that guy athletically profiles out to be a really good tackle. And so I, I would not – he tested real poorly. Yeah, that I there's a lot of 
questions about about those those that day and and what came out of it. From what I've seen of that guy, he's twice the athlete that that uh, Jermaine Fetty will ever be um, out at that spot. So, yeah, I think he's he's definitely in there. But it's interesting. I, I just am fascinated that the the if you had said guard, I would have had less question. I just want to be clear: the benchmark for right tackle is not strip sacking your quarterback and then fumbling it for a return touchdown. So strip oh, the ball. I, I just want to make sure that that's the standard. Oh man, I was furious for like a good. Oh, I was beside. I, yeah, I'm, I don't. It's been a while since I've been that mad at a Seahawks game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was it because you thought he stripped him? Yeah, yeah. I thought he got smart and was like, "Here, let, let let's." Look at this. Look what I can do. I got it. That is what it looked like. <laughs> Pete seemed pretty pissed at him. Did you hear Pete's quote on it? Yeah. No, what'd he say? Pete said, I originally, I thought that he pulled it out and I was like, I had no idea how I was going to talk to him about that. <laughs> <laughs> I had no, he couldn't think of anything like productive to say about it. He's like, thank God. It was fumbled. So we talked about how the fact is he thought he was going to score for a second and he needs to just go down. <laughs> but, oh, man, he's – Let's let's uh, close the loop on the receiver conversation. Yeah, Jeff, do you uh, do you disagree with Na- Jeff or do you disagree with Nathan or are you I on Brian's definitely side? disagree with Jeff on most things. I'm usually wrong. <laughs> but I think the Josh Gordon thing is a really fascinating component of these last – six games because I'm with Nathan. I think having a third receiver would be a great luxury. I think passing is how this team is going to best succeed going forward. They have again, the best quarterback in the NFL, which is why I was going to say stacking up the offensive line. But I think just the fact that you saw what going from Josh Gordon to, or John Duran Brown to Josh Gordon looked like, like there's a massive gap and that's a massive upgrade. And if you can get a third receiver, and I said it this year earlier in the show, earlier when like we were talking trade deadline, I think having three great receivers would be an incredible asset with this quarterback. So Josh Gordon, I think my decision could come down to him. Like if he seems so happy to be here and Russell and him have this pretty, like he said, Russell was better than Tom Brady the other day. That was pretty cool. Uh, so if he's the guy, you can probably get him at a kind of a discounted rate based on his career. And if you're going to have those three with some of the guys Brian mentioned under them, that's a really, really good group. But if Gordon kind of is up and down and kind of looks like a flash in the pan, then maybe you do look the draft if this is a super draft class and add a guy in the second or third round with one of those two picks. But yeah, I think if you can get Gordon back and he's legit, that's a, that's a great player to add to this team. What did you guys, I mean, Gordon didn't get a lot of snaps and didn't make a lot of plays. So I don't want to over like, I mean, I kind of do, but I well, hold up. He had two pivotal third down conversions. Like, yeah. But I've only seen Gordon in, in, in little bits, and generally it's been deep passes where he's really like – I mean, he's just like – especially in Cleveland, that was kind of his calling card. Is it just me, or did he just make those catches look – did he catch those differently than we've seen other receivers? It just seemed like very natural plucking the ball, and like I didn't see him change his speed as he was – like it just – something about the way he caught those passes stood out to me. I couldn't put my finger well, on it. You know what I noticed is he uses his body really, really well. Like he's a big receiver and it's like, he just, he uses his body to naturally block out the defender. Like whereas Tyler Lockett obviously has to use his speed or his route running. 
Josh Gordon just seems like he out physicals and out bodies defenders. At least that's what I noticed. I mean, yeah, go ahead, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, there was some talk about this on Twitter, and those backside slants are like a specialty of his. So, um, no, yeah, he is kind of uh, from from what I was seeing from people people talking about it, like he is. This is an elite trait of his to be able to run that slant and. Like you said, he's, it's a little different with him and, and his body, his ability to both have the speed and the, the big body to box a guy out. He, he's real good at that. Yeah. And, and that was what he did both times. Like that was, they were, they did not use him a lot. And that was what they were consistently asking him to do because that's what he's, he kind of specializes in. And that one, and, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. He, he reached down, he was on the right side of the field coming in. And he reached down like he didn't seem to break stride while reaching down almost to the ground and plucking it. And it was like, it was, I don't know, something about it was like, I don't think I've seen that very often. And it seemed pretty unique. And it got me pretty excited. Like, all right, he might be, he might be one of the best receivers on the team, not just like, you know, a nice fill in and imagine what that could look like. So that's, that's what got me. That's why I'm saying that. Yeah. Uh, Connor Golding Miles in the donated five dollars in in the YouTube chat. Connor, thank you so much for your support of Real Hawk Talk and the blog. Connor says, and I quote, he doesn't even have a question. This is the Pete Carroll quote on Jermaine and I fed a strip sack with Russell Wilson. He says, What was he thinking? He thinks he's going to score. What was he thinking? I don't know what he was. That was terrible. Wait. I don't know if that's a fake quote or if that's real. <laughs> I'm it sure sounds that was, real. That was that's pretty close, I think. Yeah. yeah. He looks because he pissed, uses like man. he uses he says like I don't know what he was. That was terrible. <laughs> uh, know, thank you, Connor. In fairness to Effetti, he neither stripped Russell. That didn't happen. He actually, I mean. Like, he ended up fumbling anyway, so it doesn't matter. But it was kind of impressive that he he was able to bring that ball in, and then he was immediately hit. Like it wasn't he wasn't putting a move on it. Like he just he, he was, was trying to stiff him and get outside. He was trying to turn the corner. But if we want to be complimentary or at least recognize the positive, Nick Bosa, D Ford, combined for one quarterback hit and zero sacks. That's insane, guys. Like, I don't think in my most optimistic projections, Nick Bosa would end up with just one quarterback hit and D Ford would have no quarterback hits. That, I mean, I think I have a question for all three of you. That's crazy. Question for all three of you. And it's a yes or no answer. No elaboration. Maybe elaboration afterwards. Jermaine Ifedi, right now, three years. $30 $30 million extension, $20 million in full guarantees. Do you do it for $10 million a year right now? No. Nathan, no. Jeff? No. Yeah, sure. Oh. <laughs> I'm so glad we have this on tape. <laughs> yeah, sure. Tell me more. <laughs> I'm not sold on... Uh... Jamarco Jones or George Fant. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think that there's just this real clear cut succession plan. Uh, and, you know, Dwayne Brown's not getting any younger. Uh, so, 
even if they do draft a tackle early, like, I don't know. I, I don't know that they can just let – I don't think – I think Afedi is probably, like, bottom-tier starter quality, but, like, that's still starter quality. $10 million a year, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. I don't know. I'm glad I got that on record. <laughs> What's your answer, Evan? Uh, no, not it. I will say I had to think about it for a second, and that's why I chose that number of $10 million. I think the franchise tag was like around that. It was like $11 million if I remember correctly. 11 or 12, maybe it was 13 actually. But uh, I don't think I'd do three years at $30 million. I don't He's just I, – I, I know he's played well for the most part this year, but I just don't trust him to continue it. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like something a bad team would do. It just seems like you can replace a similar production at like a fraction of the cost. Yeah. I think. And But they, they've had trouble just getting first-round picks on the field, so we can't just be like, just use a first-round pick because if you look at their last five or whatever, it's pretty embarrassing. Like, if you spun a wheel or got, like, a monkey to draft for the Seahawks, they would be significantly better than what we've been. And, like, you can uh, you can say that it should be easy to replace them, but they haven't. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right? And, like, the guys that are supposed to be the the next up, like, if you don't like a Fetty, well, they haven't beaten him out. So how confident are you in them? Right? I, 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 I think that the best way to, to – get someone better than a Fetty is to not have a Fetty on the roster. So I, I'm serious because. Wait, I, are you telling me always compete isn't working out? I don't. I, yeah. I, I don't think that that's, that's been valid, especially on the offensive line, especially with Mike Solari as coach, who I think sticks with the guys that he knows. And I think Jamarco Jones is better. And I think Jamarco Jones is better than DJ Fluker right now at guard. I absolutely believe that to be true. And I think there's some evidence for that to be true, but Solari wants to go with the vets. So like, I want to create that void. So someone younger and better can step into it because the coaches don't seem capable of letting that happen. Otherwise. It's like that scene in Moneyball where they have to trade away uh, Carlos Pena so they can get the, the Moneyball player on the field. It's kind of like that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, sorry to cut you guys off. Owen Sullivan, Sullivan again in the chat. Maybe this is a different Sullivan donated $2. He says, watch us not play, pay Clowney. We need to draft a corner. I'm sorry, but the Seahawks are absolutely paying Genevieve and Clowney. Brian, I think, did you say something in the chat or maybe he's on the postgame show? You were like, dump a bunch of money into his backyard, pay his family, pay his ancestors, pay his children, pay his children's children. I would have said something like that. Hey, everybody. Keep him I, there. I also just love the guy. I mean, talk about just like he's a quintessential football player, right? And he's a quintessential Seahawk. He is – I remember specifically reading on the Texans where there was talk about how he didn't fit in Bill O'Brien's culture. Like he was, he was joking around too much and he didn't seem to take things seriously. And I was like, really? Like – 2019 and like being jovial like you can't you have to be a serious like this is in the 50s so i think he is a perfect fit for seattle i think he's been playing well and man oh he played like a defensive player of the year in that game that's what we talked about that he had that potential when he came here and he finally like showed it and it's like all right that's all i needed to see 
<laughs> I'm going to throw another yes or no question at you guys right now. Four years, $90 million, $45 million fully guaranteed, $60 million in total guarantees. Do you do it? For counting? Yeah. What's the average per year? That would be 22.5. Yes. Done. Nathan? Uh, I, I'm going to preface this by saying don't out, don't release a bad take, please. No. <laughs> <laughs> Want to tell me why? <laughs> so, look, you picked the number to make it hard, right? Like, so... Damn straight I did, and I want an answer. <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot of money. Like, Yeah, fine. All right. I don't know. It's a lot of money. <laughs> um, Jeff, how about you? You're asking us at the worst time. Like, You could have last week been like, dude, you have one sack. Like, we're I want these takes people. on the like, record, Jeff. It's like going to Costco when you're hungry. Yeah, <laughs> you just had like, maybe the greatest defensive line game of the season of anyone of any player like Baldinger said he was better than anything Von Miller or Cleo Mack. So right now, like I have to say yes. Like I, but ask me next week. Uh, like if, last week, what, what was number been? He's had two sacks or something. Owen Sullivan again donates in the chat. Thank you, Owen, for another $2. He says, please answer this. All of you, Frank Clark or JJV and Clowney. I'll start off by saying Frank Clark isn't even in the same stratosphere as clowny that's like comparing dick's burgers to in and out it's not even close not even in the same jurisdiction jurisdiction it's disrespectful to even compare them to each other brian do you agree i don't agree and in fact i went to pff this week just to see where frank clark was in the edge player rankings it's not pretty <laughs> it's like i really like frank clark i love from all these years good personality i think he's a good player Holy God, did we get away with highway robbery in that? I mean, can you imagine? He is getting paid what? How many? How much per year? Do you remember what his contract's for? Clowney? No. Or Frank Clark. Um, it was like four years 105 or something like Oh, wait, no. Four years, five years 105, $21 million a year. I mean, right? If that's, if that, I don't even know. That, that sounds crazy. If, if that's true, I'm assuming it's true because you follow this stuff. Can you imagine if we had signed Frank Clark to that money and didn't have Jadamian Clowney and didn't have all the other players that we got as a result of making that trade? Like, wow, huge dodge um, of a bullet there. And yeah, it was five years, $104 million um, with oh my God. $65 million in guarantees. That is up. That is like in the ballpark of paying Jared Goff a lot of money. Yes, it is. Uh, Nathan, Jeff, Frank Clark versus Jadavian Clowney. Uh, I think that this was a lot closer before this year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you're just talking about the season, yeah, they're not close. Jeff, do you have a different take? No, I think we're, we're all pretty much on the same wavelength here. I think they're very different players. Clark was very good, like an edge pass rusher last year, and he struggled. He's had injuries this year. He said he can like barely move his fingers from some of those injuries. But Clowney just athletically pass rush. What is, what does his fingers matter? Yeah, I don't know. It's, everyone's got excuses for everything. Yeah. Just like the Niners fans. 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think that. going forward, if you're investing in one of these two like stocks, I think you have to go with Clowney. I just think athletically, he just when he's on like that, he I've never seen a player dominate. I don't think I've ever seen a Seahawk dominate a game like that before. We so, gotta make sure we talk a little bit about. I know we got another question from Owen. We'll, we'll get to that as well. But, but what do we think is gonna happen the rest of the year in this division and in the conference? Were you guys able? Let, let's start off the conversation by saying, have you guys seen the 49ers' upcoming schedule? Hell yes yeah. Or no? You showed it to us. Let's. That is, uh, like, that is like pornographic. <laughs> and we and we should we should we should mention it for i'll read it off live for yeah, the listeners who aren't aware um the niners play the cardinals this sunday however they it's a it's a home game but they ha- are absolutely like murdered from monday night's game like breda is out um there's a i can't even it'll like again it'll's out uh they um, lost they lost uh joe staley might have the surgery on his thumb which would take him out for several weeks. He was clowning. Um, um, there's the linebacker, I think. I The one guy had a concussion. There was another guy. Oh, Ronald Blair, defensive lineman. They lost for the season. Yeah. Um, DJ Jones, I don't know if he, he had to leave with a hamstring. I wouldn't be surprised if he couldn't play. Like, Did he pull a hamstring murdering Joey Hunt? How <laughs> 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 he did. That was yeah. the worst. I mean, good for Joey. Good for Joey. Good for Joey. Good for Joey. <laughs> he took one for the team. He hurt the guy's hamstring, and then uh, he was. Oh my god! That was uh, that was that was the worst thing I've ever seen. You, he lost the battle so he could win the war. <laughs> so, moving down the schedule, they play Green Bay the following week, who is eight and two. Then they play in Baltimore the following week. So two very tough games right there. And then after playing at Baltimore, they go to New Orleans to play the Saints. So that's a three-game stretch of probably three of the best teams in the NFL. Do any of you disagree? Uh, So who are the best teams in the NFL that you just named? Is this a trick question? No, no, no. Just could you name them again? Who are are the best teams? It's it's Packers, Ravens, Uh and Saints. Okay. Oh, God, I'm not – okay, I know where this is going. We're continuing. They play the Falcons the following week, which is, you know, should be a win for them. Then they play the Rams at home, and then they travel to Seattle in uh, week 17, December 29th, just before the New Year's. So that is, on my count, one, two, three, four, five difficult games that I don't think are absolute, like, 100% wins for them. Let's Let's, Let's assume for a second that the Seahawks beat the 49ers in seattle and james we'll get to your question in a second but um let's just assume that i don't think that anyone else would assume it was just for the sake of this conversation that puts the seahawks even and they have a tiebreaker right so then um do you think the seahawks have a better record in their remaining games than the 49ers they don't have to though right they just have to keep pace. Yeah, sure. They win the that game one loss behind the Niners, and they beat the Niners, and they're tied, and they have the tiebreakers. So that's that's really all they have to do is they have to keep pace. That's a good point. But I think our yeah. schedule is easier. 
over the next six no, games? I don't, I don't know. You, I mean, the the Seahawks don't have it much easier between the Eagles and the Vikings, and they also have to play, play the Rams. Uh, I would take those three teams over the Packers, Ravens, Saints stretch a hundred times out of a hundred times. Yeah, I think that's probably right, but it, it's not a cupcake either. Sure, sure, but like I think it's much higher odds that Seattle comes out on top. Well, right let's now. do it this way: Is there any of the games? Which of the games in the Seahawks remaining schedule do you currently expect them to be underdogs in? It would be so they play the at Eagles, and then Vikings come to Seattle, and then at Rams, um, at Panthers. Cardinals at Seahawks and then 49ers at Seahawks. Um, that Vikings game was on the road. I would think that they would be under. Yeah, but it's yeah, not. they probably lose that game. It's not, but but um, the at Rams potentially, depending on how the Rams play the rest of the year. Although right now the Rams are pretty <laughs> flawed. That's the game I was going to pick too. At, Rams. at Eagles, maybe the time. I don't love the time change in that game. Yeah, yeah. Do you That's guys kind of think they a better chance of winning that game at 10 a.m. than they did at 5.30 p.m. or 8 p.m.? You know, prime time? Yeah, this is a pretty good prime time team. I, I, don't, I don't worry too much about the 10 a.m.s anymore, but they do seem to play their best on prime time. Yeah, you also get, like, the hometown fans get pretty, like, ramped up for it. So, who knows? I mean, maybe it doesn't have any – I guess I look at the Seahawks' schedule – there isn't a game I don't think that they should win. And I, before this 49ers game, I would not have said that. I would say that there's a lot of potholes in there. But this is assumes that the, the defense can actually play something like what they played in this game. Not necessarily Clowney doing what he did, but that wasn't a – we've been saying, can the Seahawks defense be mediocre? Like, can they be in the middle? Because they were, like, bottom five team, bottom three defense in the league. The way they played in that game was, like, top 10 easily so i mean if they could play like just top 15 the rest of the year pretty big i think they could be almost any of those teams I, I i guess i would expect them to beat any of those teams um people are talking about 14 and 2 i don't know about that but it, yeah maybe what, I, what do you think the record will be well I can see them dropping one the rest of the way. Can you imagine? 13 and three. Yeah. Seahawks finished well. What about you, Nathan? You're like optimist, pessimist. They have they have three toss-up games. I, I I mean, I'm going to end up predicting that they'll win the rest of the way every time we do score predictions and stuff like that, barring crazy injuries, but Really, this Eagles game is a toss-up. This the Vikings game is a toss-up. That last night's game is more or less toss-up. Um, and then they have that Rams game. Yeah, probably twelve and four. I think is. Yeah, I think that's where I have. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're thirteen and three. I wouldn't be surprised if they're fourteen and two. That that would not shock me at this point. Especially, you know, you asked earlier, like, does this change what you think about this team and? I disagree with Jeff a little bit on this. Like I thought that they had, they could play with anyone and they could hold their own against anyone, but I didn't necessarily think that they were better than anyone. Um, if they compare that defense with what we've seen from this offense and they go from a puncher's chance in any game, you know, roll the dice when you get in the playoffs to 
like legit Super Bowl contending team. Um, so if that keeps up, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised that they went out at all. Well, so we should get to some of these super chat questions. Owen uh, asked about predictions for talk about who we have making the Super Bowl at this point. Let's talk about it from the AFC side first. I could see the Ravens, honestly, like upsetting the Patriots. I really could. Ravens are the team right now that no one has a solution for, at least the offense. Who would you who would you rather play? Let's say, let's say, let's say the Seahawks get this. That's a great question. I will I want them to play the Patriots. I want to stick it to the Patriots. I don't care if that's a harder game or not. I want the Patriots. I want to write that wrong. Obligatory. We want Bama of the NFL. <laughs> yes, I, I do. I don't care how stupid there is a they oh man, the Seahawks. Russell Wilson should end Tom Brady's career. <laughs> and Pete Carroll should send Bill Belichick into like a fit of rage um, that he expresses by not talking at all. That's what I want. Who do you think they have a better chance of beating? I think it's I think it's a toss up, honestly, because well, I mean they they did uh, that game was such a hard game to judge because of the weather when they played the Ravens. It's just such a big they nobody could pass the ball. The Ravens didn't pass. I don't know if to think that the Seahawks played him well or to think that nobody could have played well in that game. Russell Wilson couldn't pass the ball to save his life in that game. Um, I don't have any desire to see Lamar Jackson again for a long time. Yeah. Uh, that's... And I mean, this is again, like, you know, picking, you know, picking somebody over Brady is, is never wise. Right. And I don't have any, you know, huge urge to play him in the playoffs or the Super Bowl, but boy, Lamar Jackson is different. Like, his speed and how he moves. Uh, I, 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 I don't want any piece of that. I mean, plus we could have the Jacob Hollister revenge game. Who wouldn't want to see that? Josh Gordon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Josh Gordon could smoke a big doobie at the end of the game, like, right in Belichick's face. It would be great. Um, yeah, so so who do you guys who do you guys think is going to make it on the AFC side right now? Get a bet, bet. If I'm putting money on it, it's probably the Patriots. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think if you're going to – the logical choice is New England, but I think if there's one team that's built to beat New England, it's Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've always had trouble with Baltimore throughout this whole decade. And just as Nathan said, Lamar Jackson is the most unique player on the planet. You can game plan for him perfectly, but he just can run by you. And that's what scared me what scared me about a Seahawks matchup because they're just not a fast defense overall. And yeah, I think I think Baltimore is the team that's gonna beat them. And we would have said probably Kansas City earlier this year, but I think Baltimore's a much better team than them at this well, point. Well, watch out for Pittsburgh, guys. I mean, at least in terms of if you're Baltimore, not like they can't beat the Patriots to save their life, but that team's coming on. And that win the Seahawks had is looking better. What about in the NFC? Uh, if you had to bet right now, Evan, where's your money? You just said you, you start by saying we're gonna run the table. That's pretty much guaranteed a home field advantage. 
Good God. Um, I really am not trying to be a homer here, but with Monday's night, Monday night's win, Seahawks have a legit shot at being the one or two seed. I, I really, really think that. And if, and if the Seahawks get a one or two seed, they get that by, they get home field advantage, then it's I, – I think the Seahawks are going to the Super Bowl. I, I really think it's that big of a deal to get that one or two seed for Seattle specifically. Um, it's a toss-up between the Saints and Seattle for me. Um, I, I lean Seahawks, but it could be Saints. I will say for the first time in years – when that game ended and when I woke up in the morning, one of my first thoughts was, oh, man, I got to start looking for hotels in Miami. Yeah, I, I have a place to stay there. Do you? All right, well, that's good. Yeah, to- maybe we, we might be able to have a uh, Hawk blogger outing there. I just want to be yeah. abundantly clear. If the Seahawks are going, are going uh, go to the Super Bowl, I am absolutely good. I'm not. I'm not Hell yeah. Sure. Yeah. We will figure that out. No, I'm going with Seahawks though too. I think that's my pick. Really? Wow, that's amazing, guys. I mean, this, it's it's a total homer. Like, if you're tuning this show for the first time, you're like four Seahawks guys. Of course, they're picking that. One of the four of us ever agreed on something uh, like that. Oh, I, I didn't pick them. Well, this is the question. <laughs> <laughs> Pre Monday night, would any of you say Seahawks? Because I would definitely not. No. No chance. Exactly. Monday night was significant for the development of this team. Seriously, if they can be sustainable when it comes to that pass rush and showing just an average level defense play, this team can go far. I mean, I will say that I don't know that they're that the Seahawks are the clear cut Super Bowl favorites in the NFC right now. I don't think I believe that. Uh, and I definitely have a little homer bias here, but like I, I don't I don't see any other team that just like is clearly going to beat them out or is clearly better than them. And so, yeah, Seahawks. Yeah, I think I think there is some recency bias that we're dealing with. No doubt. <laughs> and we saw the Seahawks beat the Chiefs last year, and we were, like, super psyched about what that meant and what that meant. And then they, they lay eggs. Like, it would not shock me at all if, if either they go out and they lose their next game, you know, and you're like, oh, man, they just blew it. Or – or that they win all their games and they lose to San Francisco in the last game of the season and lose the division. Like those things are totally possible. Um, Yeah. But I I wouldn't change anything we've said. I mean, the the team showed a new ceiling for sure. sure. I'm going to take the saints still. Even after their loss to the Falcons. Yeah, they they lay they lay one of those eggs every year. I still think the Seahawks are just doing too many things that worry me, like from the coaching stuff to just how many times they should have lost that game, even though they were way better than the 49ers. Pretty alarming. Wait, are you telling me that punting with one minute, one point five minutes left in overtime wasn't the right decision? No, it was horrible. Okay, let's just be clear about that. It wasn't horrible. It was yeah, it was. Horrible. It was, it was so horrible. You, you've got to play to win the game. <laughs> it wasn't horrible. It was not the right choice. I think I, I think I was with you guys that they should have gone for it. But it wasn't – I don't think it was so clear-cut. I really don't. I know what about the – what do you guys think of the Niners not running the ball at all and playing for the tie? That's been a storyline. 
I know. I mean, you're getting the opposite on the, the... Well, the tie for them would have meant a lot more, right? Say that again? Because if they tie, they they really take a hold of the division. Yeah. There's optics, I think, that kind of go into play here. Like, if you're a, like if you're a 49ers fan, would you be happy with that? Like, if they were playing for the tie? Oh, man. Seahawks Twitter would have lost their mind if <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I almost wonder if there's like PR optics here where a team can't, like teams can't be that smart yet. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I know. It was, it was, a very, it was very interesting. For a takes. What was that? Have we gotten the Belichick would have played for a tie takes? <laughs> Those have to be out there, right? That's funny. Pete Carroll told me he wasn't. Actually, we're not going to get into this. No, nah, well, that's yeah. <laughs> no, anyway, like I still think the Seahawks are right up there. I think they have the best quarterback on the planet, which gives them a chance to beat anyone. Even when they were playing like shit, I still thought they can beat anyone. I think the Saints are a little bit better overall, but if Clowney is playing at that level or Jaron Reed's playing at that level, yeah, and the Seahawks can win the division, I think they have a great chance. But you know what? Bring on the Saints. I I know everyone freaked out about that game. I I I thought that the Seahawks like blew that game five different ways. So and I think I think the team that that lost to the Saints is not the team that we just saw play. So Fair. I, mean, I, I think they should have beat them then, and I think they definitely could beat them again if they had to go into New Orleans. Sure, it's a different story. That's with Teddy Bridgewater though. Yeah. Yeah, that, I don't know if you noticed, it hasn't been a major difference since Breeze yeah, has been fair. Yeah, it's He's close. Been back like, how I, many I games, though? Couple. It's been back. Okay. Two, I think. Yeah. yeah I think it's close, though. Listen, the Seahawks are right there. I just think the coaching stuff and the mistakes they keep making, that's and their, their holes on defense, that still worries me a little bit. All right, guys. We got one more Super Chat question that we should probably wrap for the night. Um, this is, I admit, a little bit of a crazy one, but – James bought it, so James gets it. James Watson asks um, to trade a first, a second, and Rashad Penny for Saquon Barkley. Nathan says absolutely yes. Do it right now. Investing in the running back position is of high value and going to lead us to a Super Bowl win. Yeah, Evan sums it up really well. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is no. We're not spending picks on running backs despite the fact the Seahawks – and we discussed discussed draft allocation for 2020. The CX might draft a running back in like the first or second round next year. We joke about it, but they oh might. Oh my god! Seriously, they, they might first or second round, but they definitely could do it at some point. They could. Chris Carson is entering the last year of his deal, and Rashad Penny is not super young anymore either. How do they not take a third rounder for Penny? If that's true, that is insane. They got a third round offer. That's what the – there was a lot of reports going on about that. That's insane to me. He's playing two snaps a game and he's fumbling. Holy crap. I don't want to know that. Don't tell me. Because <laughs> yeah. who was it? Did Detroit trade for somebody? Or they were trying to the, – so the whole, what did Kenyon Drake go for? A fifth? I think it was a fifth. And I think the Lions beat writer said the Seahawks wanted more. Yeah, I think that the Seahawks were like the, – the Lions were offering more than what was traded for Drake. Yeah. 
and Seattle was saying you no, know, they wanted more. I don't know if it was that they wanted a third and couldn't get it, or offers. That would make more sense to me because I've been <laughs> on, I've been on fourth for Penny since he was a rookie, <laughs> so I would not be surprised if that was his value. But jeez, he's he's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, he, he did good with his 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 chances in this game for sure. That fumble was great. Um. <laughs> Oh, there's something else I was going to say, but I forgot it. I'm probably too tired. Um, all right. Well, I really wish I could remember what I was going to say. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So uh, on that note, uh, that amazingly entertaining note, uh, thank you guys all for joining again. Um, just a amazing, amazing uh, turn of events in this game and, and this season. And, we're going to have a lot of fun the rest of the year. I think wherever this is going to go, it's going to be super entertaining. They've proven that every single minute of every single game. Why does this feel like game of last words? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, who knows? And, and well, uh, Josh is going to cut this up and like, they're not going to win another game the rest of the way. <laughs> it's going to be that Mariners thing all over again. Yeah. Who knows this team? It's anything's possible, but Wow. I mean, maybe even KJ Wright will start catching interceptions at him in the hands. I mean, all sorts of things could happen that, that would be amazing. So uh, stick with us, um, support the show. Um, it was great having your questions tonight. Thank you for all the super chats. Really appreciate that. Um, sign up at patreon.com slash hawkbloggers. Thanks for the Patreon questions and the support as always. Uh, tell a friend about the pod, guys. Uh, tell a friend how to subscribe, leave a comment, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. There's all sorts of ways. Get it on Spotify. So uh, all sorts of ways to support. Um, really appreciate it. And we will be back next week, even during the bye, uh, to preview the the uh, Eagles matchup, right? So take care and uh, go Hawks, everybody. <laughs>